0: The combination of data and customer experience has become essential. And so, today on CXO Talk, we're speaking with two profound experts, Danielle Kropp, the chief data officer of Albertsons, together with Bruno Aziza, who is the head of data and analytics for Google
1: Cloud. My role and responsibility as Chief Data Officer at Albertsons is um, data science, data platforms, so data management and data governance, as well as uh, data products, so all of those wonderful things that enable the enterprise to deliver on customer experience with data. Bruno,
0: tell us about Google Cloud and tell us about your role. I uh, run
2: Advan Product Management for Google Cloud uh, data analytics portfolio. That's products you might have heard, like BigQuery and DataProc and Dataflow. We have lots of news, lots of new customers we can talk about today as it relates to the customer experience um, challenges and opportunities.
0: Danielle, maybe you can start start us off by giving us some some giving us some insight into this relationship between data and customer experience.
1: Today it's essential, right? Customers expect that you're gonna know, you know, things about them that they would have, you know, 30, 40 years ago would have never expected that you would know about them. Right. They expect you to have an understanding of of who they are, what relationship they have with you as a company, and what you know purchases they've made in the past. This is an expectation that they have. Um, And that you're going to customize um, your experience with them based on the information that you know about them. Uh, And so that's a fundamental difference. And so data and CX are inextricably entwined um, at this moment in time. And I consider that it's probably going to get even more entwined in the future.
0: When we talk about customer experience, what kinds of data are do you think about gathering Danielle at Albertsons and then Google? You're talking uh, across a range of different organizations. What are the kind of patterns of data collection that you see?
2: Adds to what Danielle said is this notion of real time, which is becoming really important for I think organizations, but also customers who are going through their shopping experience. And, and just like Danielle said, they expect that not only you're going to understand them, but you're also going to understand cohort analysis, understand people just like them, so you can create really compelling experiences, help them find products that they need faster, and maybe consider products they didn't think about before. I think if you break down the types of data, there's at least three or four data types you have to be able to collect and transform and and augment uh, around the experience. The first one is, of course, the data about your particular customers and visitors and and you know understanding who they are as individuals, but who they are as maybe groups of individuals and understanding, you know, uh what's going to augment, uh, if you will, their, their experience. The, the second type of data is everything around engagement. Uh, you know, when you have a multi-channel uh, experience online in a retail store and, and maybe through partner stores, you need to understand, okay, what what are they, you know, the click-through rates, what are some of the conversions that you're you're experiencing because that's a, a, a sign, if you will, that you're presenting your customers with the right information. the The other aspect is everything around behavior, right? So implicit uh, behavior around purchase history, just like Danielle was saying, or abandonment of shopping carts. You know, why are people abandoning their their cart? What does that tell us about the experience? Is it about the product's not being available is it about something wrong about the site or uh, maybe they're dropping subscriptions that you know you, you were hoping they would they would keep And then finally is everything that's explicit you know if you run surveys uh, or if you ask them hey how was the experience in the store how's the experience here you can get a sense of you know, how well did you deliver on this promise of of having a customer experience? You know, one last, maybe last comment on real-time is, if you think about non-retailers like an Uber or any of these organizations that are in the business of informing people of where are my goods and there are real-time platforms, I think retailers also need to be able to provide this this type of capability. And we certainly see companies like Albertsons, you know, leading the way here because they're able to not only optimize their their inventory, you know. Able to optimize the experience while shopping, but also optimize the experience while delivering the goods if they are being shipped to
0: the customer. And Danielle, I see you nodding furiously as uh, Bruno is talking.
1: The real time aspect and in the in the way that the cloud and you know the more modern infrastructure allows us to gather signals from our customers in real time and then make decisions in real time about what what their needs are. Um, is really unprecedented in human history, um, and it's you know an exciting place for somebody in data like myself to be, right? Is how do we take all of these this infrastructure and this amazing amount of data that we have and enable incredible experiences for our customers? One of the ones that I I like the that appeals to me the most, which we're still working on, um, is if you're shopping in the store, you're you're in the store holding onto your phone, right? I, if you're like me, you do that. I do that every time I'm in the store, right? I've got my list in front of me. I've got my app in front of me. Um, you know, what if we could push to people what they bought the last time they were in the aisle, Right? When that, while they're standing in the protocell, wouldn't that be super helpful to our customers? Um, and while that takes a lot of infrastructure um, and capability that um, we don't necessarily have at this moment in time, it will be here soon. Um, and I'm excited about those types of use cases.
2: We used to think about there's an online shopping experience and then there's an in-person shopping experience. But increasingly, you know, it's a hybrid shopping experience. So you had you this multi-channel experience before, but what if you could bring them together? You know, even beyond the experience inside the store, we we have retailers that we work with who are able to provide real-time inventory uh, information with a specific aisle where you would find the the what you're looking for. While the person is traveling to the store, to really make it efficient for them to not have to waste a bunch of time to find what they're looking for, and so what Danielle is describing here, I really do think is the future of retail is understanding this multi-channel, multi-format uh, relationship and bringing it together to the service of excellent, you know, customer experience. In the end, you know, they're they're going to buy from you because you have created an environment, you know, that is really focused on getting them to what they're looking for, and sometimes. Even recommending things that they might not have thought about in very effective ways, um, and there's a huge opportunity here um, and beyond just the experience itself. The challenge is uh, there's tremendous growth in data, and there's tremendous uh, diversity of the nature of data you'd have to bring in order to accomplish that. Right? We we tend to think about searches and clicking on boxes and so forth, but images, audio files, you know, what's what's consumed that is really has been part of the universe of these consumers. That if you truly have a modern data platform allows you to bring it all together to really create something that's different that maybe frankly we never thought would be possible just like what Danielle is describing.
0: What I find to be fascinating about what you're both describing is very often we think of customer experience as you know the the screen looks nice everything you know attractive buttons but you're really going to customer experience at the most foundational level and where you're deep into the operations deep into the processes and really reflecting at an intuitive basis how the customer is behaving and what they actually want from you in addition to this is is data that they might not have access to before right so if you
2: think about the context of the data that influences your decision as a buyer, of course you got information about your preferences and you got information about the inventory and that's available, but what about weather conditions? What about things that are outside the store and outside of your own, uh, you know, data repository as an individual, if you will, that are going to make your experience better. What if we knew that, you know, in two days from now, it's really going to rain and you should really consider that or, Um, The conditions are going to change. So, there's also a lot of opportunity in bringing external data to really create this experience that, really, up until now, if you think about the world of retail, you know, 30 years ago, just simply just was not possible.
0: Danielle, as you're thinking through data and customer experience at Albertsons, how is this all resonating with you? What Bruno was just describing, and again, this this strong operational and infrastructure piece.
1: The amount of data and amounts of types of data that are able to be brought together now, almost like so, almost in the real world, you can replicate the same kind of data streams that you have online, right? Which is like okay, so think about it in terms of like if if someone wants right and they opt in. You can know where they were shopping before they came to Albertsons, right? Versus like versus like the you know like in, in online you can do that, right? You've got the signals of like we know what you know what other sites you you know you were at, um, and we can use that information. So it's almost like that's getting replicated in real life, um, and that can be a really powerful driver of customer experience um, as long as it's used for good. With this
0: kind of broad spectrum of what's possible, how do you isolate, prioritize where to actually focus? You can do anything. So what do you choose to do and how do you decide what to do?
1: We decide what to do a lot based on size of opportunity, right? So the first thing that we try to ask ourselves is, um, is this something that is, you know, essential to the business at this point in time? And is it is it, you know, is it, and how valuable is it, right? So because we have a limit, like, always limited resources in every business, right, to decide what we should do. So I really encourage my data science team to, to focus on, okay, how much business value is there in this idea? Like, let's kind of get an idea and size that um, before we start going down into a possible rabbit hole that might be very interesting but not very valuable. So that is really how we do it at Albertsons.
2: And you know what we've observed uh, with organizations that work with is really is highly correlated with the level of pain that uh, people are experiencing in their you know experience. I'll I'll just give you a few examples. You know, searching a large catalog, for instance, is really hard for customers if even if they know. Uh, what they're looking for. So working uh, with Cartier, for instance, uh, it's a company that was started you know, a long time ago, 174 years of history of Cartier watches. And so what they did is they now enable uh, people to take a photo of a watch and find that across their catalog within three seconds with the high level of accuracy. So that's, that's a huge pain point because the customer already knows what they want and you want to make it as fast as possible for them to find that product. So it's a great example of just augmenting the, the customer experience in ways that just really removes a lot of friction. Uh, another example is uh, an organization like L'Oreal, for instance, uh you know, it's a French organization. So Michael, you know I'm French, so I'm always I here do you go, I'm giving you two French examples. So I apologize for that. But L'Oreal has created this application, I think it's called Modiface, where you can experience makeup uh, virtually, right? So, so augmented reality, and so I, th- I think if if uh, if I look at what retailers and organizations you know that are providing great services and products like that to to their consumers, how they're enhancing um, the the experience is very much related to what Danielle was talking about. Is that they're coming to your online properties or they're coming to your physical location to accomplish a job? That job might be finding something they already know or experiencing something that you know they're very curious but would be really difficult to do. You know, changing makeup is is hard. It's a very physical uh, experience. If you can use digital experiences to suggest, here is based on, you know, you know what you're wearing right now, what you should be putting on as makeup is really quite amazing. Something that we just couldn't do before.
0: Would it be fair to say that this focus on data and customer uh, customer experience ultimately? comes down to using data to help model digitally the things that customers care about, that they want to do, and that they want to engage in. Is, is that a fair way to put it or not really?
1: I would say it's it's pretty fair. I would add in that the way I look at it is, is this helpful? Is it useful right, um, to the customer? Um, or is it just because that's the, those are the features that they're going to use, right? The features like a lot of times we'll focus on, oh, this is really cool, right? But is it actually going to be useful to to the person in their life? Um, the ones that use, I mean, you use like you look at Uber, right? I mean, why was Uber super successful? It was incredibly useful and filled a need that people didn't even know they had. Right, um, and that's so. Those those are the types of things I think that are most powerful when you're saying CX meets data.
2: You know, there's this theory called jobs to be done. Michael, I'm a big uh, Chris Christensen, uh, um, a fan, and is a professor at MIT and has written this book on jobs to be done. I think people coming to your store or visiting your online uh, storefronts, if you will, they're not coming to just do that. They're coming to accomplish a job that sometimes is about Finding a specific item or sometimes even creating an experience for people they're hosting, right? So to the extent to which you can make that process a lot easier, uh, is when you're really going to provide the best service. And that's what's going to make them come back because they're going to get a sense that you get them, right? You you understand who they are, you understand the job they're trying to accomplish and the way they're hiring you, the retailer, to accomplish that job and enable them to make this progress towards. The end goal. The end goal is not coming to visit your store. The end goal is coming to create an experience for people they love, or you know, buying something for themselves so they can feel good. Uh, th- th- things that are really around the human experience. And now we're in. It's a beautiful time to be in 2022 because we have tremendous technology It allows you to get there a lot faster than we we could really we couldn't do that before. You know, the clouds really helped us accomplish a lot of that. Uh, data sharing platforms allowed us to do this at a very large scale for lots of different data types while the data is governed uh, you know uh, in a scalable manner. And so we're really in a, in a good time now to to create amazing experiences uh, for for customers uh, shopping and, and
0: wanting to create experiences for themselves and others. And we have a question that just came up from Twitter from Arsalan Khan, and Arsalan's a regular listener, asks great questions, and so thank you, Arsalan, who's asking about the ethical considerations. And so, what about that? How how do how do you think about the ethical lines, as as Arsalan mentioned in his tweet?
1: The key thing for me is that it has to be in service of the customer. Right. So, if the if if the usage is in service of the customer, and you act, you know, you have to request consent, right? Um, those, then I think it's very, then then I think you're, you know, you can say this is for good, right? This is this is data for good. Um, if it is not in service of the customer, and you, it is in service of just your shareholders, then you really need to think about whether or not you want to do it, right? So, I think that that is. Where I want to, where I think about um, fortunately our use case is not one of those dopamine use cases at Albertsons, so we don't need to worry about that so much. But I think that is a huge consideration for the industry at large, which is that, you know, are we deliberately making people addicted to their devices? Um and that is something that as a culture, I think we have to tackle. But fortunately at Albertsons, it's that's not our use case. We're not trying to we want people to be in and out of their app and it want we want it to be easy and useful. Um and sticky, but not addictive.
0: Bruno, thoughts on the this issue of of the ethics and where you draw the line? You know, the security and and, and of the data is it's not a
2: compromise, right? There's something you have to build in, design up from from that, right? So, you know, an example is uh, opt-in applications, right? So customers. Need to opt in into that experience, so you can be sure that the data is secured. It's only accessed by them. It's their data. You know, ultimately, they own that data. The retailer uh, really doesn't, right? So you first have to have that contract, that ethical contact contract, if you will, uh, where it's very clear that you're never going to compromise on that. And then, secondly, you know, the way we see retailers work with data in general is the Aggregation of the data, so you never really look at individual uh, information. You really look at trends, and that's how you maximize really the relationship between the data you have and the experiences with your your customers. And it's always to what Danielle was saying here is that you have to align to you know what the job is and how you're creating the experience to the service of the people who are buying uh, that from you. And you have to focus on where do we align here, right? So. And that's why I was connecting earlier in in the in the bias journey, if you will. It really that's that's where you're going to be able to uh, you know provide the best value for your organization and the customers is when they're
0: aligning. Anytime they're not aligning, I would say it's probably a red flag. Let's shift gears a moment and talk about the organizational aspects. Uh, building a a data machine, so to speak, is complex. Danielle, can you tell us about the composition of your team?
1: A team of product managers and data scientists um, that own the you know the data lakes, so the data platforms, data management, data governance teams um, as well as data products um, leaders. And then uh, the data scientists that drive all of those algorithms. So that is the composition of the chief data officer, um, uh, data office at Albertsons. Um, And uh, they're responsible for just really driving this change. We were 11 months in at this point of a data office at Albertsons. And so we're still building and growing and changing. Um, But uh, really exciting um, opportunities to build some platforms at scale. Um, for Albertsons to drive, you know, really, you know, omni-channel, right? Like before, I would say that omni-channel has been a buzzword for like what? Over a decade, right? And everybody's been like, oh, this is like, I think we're actually at the point now with between data infrastructure that omni-channel is is going to be a reality. Um, And that's really exciting for us to be at the epicenter of building those products and capabilities and the data science that underlies it. To drive true omni-channel experiences,
0: Bruno, the notion of a of a data culture and where does that fit in? First of
2: all, I'd say that uh, Danielle is, is an exceptional chief data officer, and and you know that what's amazing in our industry is that we have now graduated and matured to having a lot of folks like Danielle driving uh, data strategies, and that's where data culture starts. Right, it starts uh, at the top. I think ten years ago, we look at the latest data; only twelve percent of companies. Uh, and hired a chief data officer, now in 2022, according to the latest data, I think it's 74% of organizations. And so we're making a lot of progress in, you know, culture as, as vague as it might sound also needs to be supported by an organization that has a team, that has a charter, that is recognized and be brought to the executive table uh, to drive the data strategy, right? So it has now been recognized just like uh, your CFO, right? You have a finance organization. Well, now you have a data organization. And so I think that's where it's it's starting. You know, we have a long way to go because if you look at, you know, surveys in the market and we ask organizations, you know, uh, what is the number one problem to being successful with data? Uh, 91%, almost 92% of people that have been surveyed will tell you that culture is their greatest challenge. Uh, and I think Danielle has a perspective on why that is. So I, I don't want to steal the thunder from from her on that, but. I think it starts at the top, and then there's, of course, some principles
0: uh, that you've got to go and apply. So Danielle, tell us about data culture and your thoughts on this.
1: It's really interesting to have been, you know, in the world of data since 2001, right, in the corporate environment, and see the change that has occurred. I think when I first started, it like the data culture challenge was more of a um, how do we get people to use data to make decisions, right? Now the problem is more, what data do you use to make decisions, right? Because there's so much of it, right? Um, It's almost like analysis paralysis, right? Like you can get into, you know, so many different metrics and looking at metrics. And I think this is where big data, right? And data science is gonna have to come in um, and this quote fourth industrial revolution, right? Come in is in making sense of all of this data and making it actionable, right? Which is why I think data science is at the center of all of this. Um, is you cannot, you know, you could look at data all day long, metrics all day long. Are you really making the right decisions, right? This is where models become very important. Um, and then going back to our data for good conversation, like they have to be ethical models, right? Right. So it's an interesting moment in time for data, but I think that that's where the culture needs to, needs to, you know, kind of shift is to, Going from, I think we have a lot of very traditional leadership, right? At this moment in time, and they have a tendency to want to look at their reports. But I think that 10 years from down the road, what we're going to be doing is they won't have to look at those reports necessarily, except for at the highest P&L level, it will be automated. The decisions in the business will be far more automated um, through data science and algorithms. And I think that that will free up so much capacity within our organization. To focus on higher order strategy, um, and I think that will be fantastic. But I think we're we're at that moment of like they don't. I think a lot of our a lot of leaders don't really know what this new fourth industrial revolution means, and we're as data folks, we have to move them forward in that direction.
2: We're even trusting right that we'll get there. I think you know there's still um, a lot of education to uh, occur, and, and the encouraging piece is the rise of, of the chief data officer and the rise of, of really good best practices around how many data people uh, should you hire? What What is the makeup of the data team? What is the role of data engineering and data science? You know, a lot of best practices there that just go way beyond what, you know, we used to talk about 10 years ago on, hey, let's have your data culture principles, print them on the wall, and then hope people will respect them. You know, that is, of course, it's you need to have that, but you also need to have an organization uh, and you need to have practices that allows you to can you know remind people of that. So what we see organizations do is uh, data literacy uh, programs. so they they do office hours and they train people on, you know what does it look like to understand and work uh, with uh, this data, this dashboard, this insight. Uh, and you you'll be surprised that you know people are really interested in learning that, not the tooling, not the dashboarding themselves, but they want and they recognize that they're sitting. On a goldmine of information, and and up until now, uh, until you really bring the chief data officer in the organization, they really have not been able to use them beyond just the standard reporting, uh, you know, tactics that Danielle is is talking about. I think all of us are consumers, and we're experiencing the tremendous benefits that occur when you know you have intelligence uh, that surrounds you and helps you go throughout your day, but. I think if we take an honest look at most organizations, they're they're not there, right? I think in fact, there's research that shows that only a third of organizations are able to get value out of uh, the data that they have. So, uh, you know, I'm encouraged by the, the the progress we're making, but there's still a lot of work to do. And the number one barrier is the culture and the you know the application, the the uh, deployment, if you will, the execution on that uh, culture strategy, which you know is still in progress right now.
0: We have a really interesting point from Robin on Twitter who says this. He says, it's analysis paralysis, but it's also the data story and value that should be connecting with the data product, so company vision and value for the customer. Any thoughts on, on this? I, th- I think it's a really interesting point.
1: Your data program, your data strategy has to, has to connect to value um, and it has to be quantifiable. Um, and so that's part of the, you know, the the role that I have, right. Which is to develop this organization, plot the strategy, and then make sure that it's very clear that this is tied to business value, increase in sales, you know, whatever the the core metric might be. Um, and that the program is is, is driven towards that. Um, and if you can't, you know, i I'm curious as to you know Bruno's comment earlier about people you know like how many, how few organizations are getting value out of their data. That doesn't surprise me, and yet it concerns me, right? So it's because it's like to me, data is so valuable that it's hard for me to even imagine a scenario in which you don't get value out of your data.
2: And it's, I mean, everyone should learn from the work that that you're doing. Uh, it's just still really complex, I think for most organizations to uh, you know get a full visibility on on their data right because the data that they work with is often highly distributed is like we said, you know is in all types of shapes and format and it's really challenging if you're evolving on a, a platform that might not be modern. so it's really challenging first of all to even just get basic visibility. and so then building data products on top of that uh, is is certainly, a really complex for organizations you know to get there. beyond the technical aspects, what we are seeing is the organizations that succeed really connect to this to this point uh, that the listener is making on the the, the the value of storytelling. The business of making decisions is a very emotional one, right so we, we're not logical machines that also have emotions we're emotional machines that also use logic sometimes to make decisions. And so, what we see is people using internal marketing vehicles to make sure that people are reminded of the culture. So, do you have a brand around your initiative? Is your brand memorable? Um, are people recognizing this brand as they're going through their reports? You know, a lot of organizations we work with will brand uh, a, uh, their reports or their dashboards, saying this is you know certified data based on the brand that we're using. And so, there's definitely a logical component to it. But a big component is also how you know how you're connecting at the human level, not just with your customers, but also with your employees who are
0: trying to make uh, the right decisions with their data and sometimes they just can't connect with that. I just want to invite everybody to subscribe to our newsletter so we can keep you up to date on our shows. Just hit the subscribe button at the top of our website. And if you're watching on Cxotalk.com, Subscribe to our YouTube channel too. So, and tell a friend. Okay, we have a great question. This is from Suman Kumar Chandra on LinkedIn. And he says, How do you align the data strategy of your organization with the business strategy when the business is changing very rapidly? It's a really good question.
1: I like to simplify this, right? And how you do it is you say like, okay, your business strategy is always tied to your PL in one in one way or another, right? Um, and so if you keep your objectives very clear and three-year in nature, right, then you can tie your data strategy to your objectives um, quite clearly. Like, I, I, I don't see a difference between the business strategy and the data strategy. They are one strategy. Um, And so when you're looking at, and so to me, it's about my role and my team's role is to serve the organization, right? So what is the business strategy? What do we need to to build in order to be able to support that business strategy? Um, And it's about making sure you're connected in and not in the silo as a data team, that you're connected in to what the business is doing and how they're doing it.
0: How do you connect data and business strategy when things are changing really fast?
1: The data strategy and business
0: strategies are, are
2: the same. What we see organizations do to make sure they are connected is shared OKR, so a shared goal, a shared goal between someone in the data team and someone in the business team that they can't achieve unless they partner. So that's how you just have to be able to advance together. I will say one more thing is that. Data strategy as the potential of actually advancing your business strategy. There is another French retailer for you, Carrefour, just launched an initiative called Carrefour Links. And it's the result of the maturity of their data abilities that now enables them to create a data platform where they can share their best practices on customer behaviors. With the ecosystem, a business that they were not in before. But it's the result of connecting data strategy, business strategy. And now, because you've become such a mature data organization, you can advance the business itself. Again, not many organizations are there, but that's where the opportunity
0: is. Arsalan Khan comes back and he says if culture is the biggest challenge for data then where should the cdo report the cfo cio ceo board to whom should the chief data officer report
1: it is depending on the business strategy at the time and what you're trying what agenda you're trying to you know move forward the cdo should sit probably closer to whatever you're trying to move forward at that point in time right? Um, so lots of times a CDO will report to a CTO or a CIO, right? Um, and I think that if you're at the stage in which you need to move your platforms from very old infrastructure to modern infrastructure, that's probably the good place for the CDO to sit for that period of time, right? At Albertsons, I, I, I report to the chief customer and digital officer because that's the agenda we're, we're moving forward at this moment in time. Right. But I do think that where the CDO sits is different in every organization in a lot of ways. And that's not, and so that's not inappropriate. Honestly, it is very appropriate. And I think that where the CDO should sit is dependent upon the business objectives of the company at that time.
2: We're seeing the, the same thing. I mean, certainly we asked uh, through surveys, you know, where do CDOs report to? And people had the choice the chief product officer, the chief technology officer, the CIO, the CFO and it was interesting because we got about the same percentage uh, across these and i think that's probably because of what is saying is it really depends on who's leading the charge on you know the most important business imperative inside your organization if you know uh, at albersons you know your goal is to provide the most compelling uh, digital experiences or hybrid experiences for customers and it makes a lot of sense that data is going to be the fuel that's going to uh, create those experiences you find organizations where uh, it, they run under the CFO because they have a CFO that is very mindful on you know we focus just like what Daniel was saying earlier on the initiatives that drive the best value for customers and therefore the way to assess that value is through the, the conversion into uh, revenue and the ability to sell more and then sell different things that uh, you know customers come back to us with and so forth and really optimize our processes and then you have organizations where interesting enough they they work under the chief product officer because their business is to build data products. And so they have data product managers who will take the assets they have and then create experiences uh, like recommendation and, and others that are creating those products that really are creating value for your organization and your customer. So there's not one answer. It really depends on the culture and the makeup of your organization and its business goals.
1: The role of the CDO kind of matures over time because I think the first CDO was actually appointed in, I want to say, 2006. Right. So it's still a relatively new area and discipline. Um, I think that if it's driving, you know, really core business objectives, there are places in which the CDO reports to the CEO. Right. And maybe that will become more common over time
0: how do you measure how does one measure data initiatives and especially as it relates to customer experience and robin on twitter comes back and he just wants to be very clear that data should not just sit in a dashboard it needs to be informative insightful personalized actionable and ultimately lead to accountability so so metrics how do we measure these types of initiatives and especially with an emphasis on customer experience
1: data if it's in a dashboard isn't data okay that's a metric right that you track metrics are not they're they're informed by data but they're not data um data is what's underneath and behind um and so that's so that's another kind of tweak to what he said i would i would provide
0: i can sense robin in the ether on twitter smiling now having with you saying that
1: and that's something that we need to like that's part of the data culture concept as well right going back to that is like it's data is a lot of people think metrics or reporting or data.
0: No. Okay, so Bruno, how do we measure? How do we how do we decide what are we measuring here?
2: There are many ways to to decide it, and I'll probably just take one and the opposite. The first one is how do you measure value inside your organization, right? What is the the? I think one of the issues in the success of the chief data officer today is the inability to connect. The data with its value, and so um, I, I I think that he's he, your listener here is hitting on a very uh, specific one. There there are many ways to look at the re, the ROI, if you will, of data analytics. Uh, you know, the first one is is of course just the the simple level of adoption, right? So are your employees engaged uh, with the data? Are they actually making decisions based on data? Are they ignoring your initiatives? Uh, so, that's uh, that's clearly the first thing you want to look at because if nobody's looking at what you've built, well, um, if you don't have data-driven changes inside your organization, it's probably a, a, red, a red flag. The other piece is customer satisfaction, right? Because ultimately, if you think about what you're trying to do here, you're trying to use data so you're more informed about what your customers want so you can provide the best experiences from them. And so, survey your customers, you know, just like you see on the back of your… Of these trucks that say how is my driving you probably should have the same level of uh, interest on how we're we delivering on the promise you came to our store you came to our site do we really get you do we know you and then probably the other uh, area that I would look at is how are your products uh, evolving as a result of the information that you have you know is the inventory you have today the same in the inventory that you had last year? Uh, and if the answer is it's a ninety nine percent overlap, then you know you have to ask yourself, did you really not learn anything or you were just right on when you started? Uh, you know I think there's so many factors uh, that are going to affect your inventory and and hopefully with the knowledge you have from your customers that your inventory has to evolve uh, in places maybe you didn't expect. And so, Look at these three things. It's probably a good way to to get started: adoption, customer satisfaction, and the nature of the inventory you propose. The type of company that you've become because of your uh, knowledge of data.
0: What advice do you have for folks who want to use data to deepen their customer relationships? And and I'll ask you to answer pretty quickly. Connect with the the community. There are,
2: there are many ways to learn from leaders, and you know I'm excited that they're watching you today, but you know, start a conversation with people you admire in in the industry. You know, it really starts with the dos and don'ts. Uh, you want to learn from best practices. You want to learn from the worst practices. You know, and, and people are really good at sharing that. We have um, uh, our own video program we call Data Journeys every Tuesday, where I interview uh, customers, and they, it's really designed to do that. So I would say the best practice is connect to the humans, the human beings that are behind these best practices, and reach out to them. Use LinkedIn use platforms like that to ask your questions
0: it's going to be the best way that you learn Danielle, you started us off and you're going to get the final word here what advice do you have for folks who want to use data to deepen the customer relationships?
1: Know thy data and know where it is right so uh, the, you you can get you know creative and inspired by data um, but you have to know what it is and where it is. Um, and start there. Start with the simple stuff, right? Like, okay, where, where does this data reside? How do how do we pull it? How do we know it? How do we understand it? Um, and then you can come up with some really great ideas about how you can use it. Um, but and you can obviously come up with data, you know, things of how you're going to use it. But maybe you know that that falls apart when you can actually go get it because it's not there, right? So I always say, start with what's there. Um, And then grow from there, right? Because if you start, if you try to abstract back from an idea to that, you may be disappointed. But if you start with the data, you can come up with some really interesting and creative things.
0: With that, we are out of time. A, I want to say a, a huge thank you to Danielle Krop. She is the chief data officer of Albertsons. and To uh, Bruno Aziza, who is the head of data and analytics for Google Cloud, thank you both so much for sharing your valuable time with us today. I really, really appreciate it. Thank
2: you so much for having us.
0: Everybody, Thank you for watching, especially the folks who asked such awesome questions today. Before you go, please, subscribe to our YouTube channel, hit the subscribe button at the top of our website so we can keep you up to date on our shows. We have just amazing shows coming up. Everybody, thank you so much. I hope you have a great day, and we will see you next time. Bye-bye.